Praise God. Good afternoon, everybody, and God bless you, those of you watching from home. Thank you. Bless you, Gabe. Turn with me to, as we try to round up, let's go first of all, before we go to the screen, let's turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus Christ was speaking and in verse 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, this is the New Living Translation, John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, this was not to unbelievers, this was not to non-believers, this was to those who believed. And uh, over the past few weeks, uh, especially the previous uh, three Wednesdays before the last one, I did some teaching uh, from the book of Colossians. And uh, one of the things I kept on emphasizing was for us to understand that being born again was not just uh, everything. Thank God that's the beginning. But there is more to being born again. If we just say we are born again and we just stay there and do nothing, then we will not really accomplish much in this life as far as God's will and purpose is concerned. But here Jesus Christ said something to those who already believed. So you would have been wondering, they already believed, that should be it. But he said something to them, say, you are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful to my teachings... You are truly, you know, sometimes people go around and they call themselves Christians. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> that word Christian is a very heavy word, you know. Um, I remember back many years ago, more than 30-something years ago, uh, you know, a, a brother said to me, Brother Richard, you know, do you know that, uh, you know, uh, there are many believers that are not Christians? <laughs> so I said to him, how is that? I mean, uh, you know, many believers that are not Christians. So he said to me, yes. He said to be a believer means to believe what Jesus Christ has said or has done for us and we are saved. But Christian means to live a life that reflects the character and life of Jesus. And that really opened my eyes. And as a matter of fact, if you read the place that the word Christian is mentioned in the Bible in uh, Acts, I believe, chapter 11, verse 26, you know, it talks about the fact that the believers, they were together, they, actually the disciples, they were together for over two years being taught and taught and taught and taught the word of God. And the Bible says that they were called Christians first in Antioch. But notice that they had, they had gone through about two years of teaching. So they were more or less discipled and taught the word of God and they had grown to know the word and they had begun to live out the word so that, you know, um, the way they were behaving, the way they were praying, the way they were having fellowship with one another, the way they were loving one another was just a picture of what Jesus Christ did when he was physically walking the face of the earth before he's going to the cross. And so people called them Christians. It wasn't 
you know, the word Christian was not a word that the believers came up with and said, okay, from today we want to be called Christians. That is not what happened. It was people who observed them and they, they saw that they lived like Jesus, they prayed like Jesus, they preached like Jesus, cast out devils like Jesus, walked in love. And they said, oh, these guys are like Jesus. Notice, I think somewhere in the book of Acts also, you know, the, uh, in Acts chapters 4 and 5, especially when you see the, the boldness of Peter and John when they were arrested for preaching the gospel. And uh, the, the Bible says that the leaders told them not to preach in the name of Jesus again. But they said, look, we can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. And then a point came that they, they warned them and it, it didn't work. And they took, the Bible says they took notice of them that they had been with Jesus. They saw the boldness. They said, these guys, we you know, I mean, they, they are just like Jesus. They are behaving like Jesus, you know. And you know something, God wants us to develop ourselves as Christians such that people can uh, look at us and uh, they know that we are Christians. We don't even have to announce to them. We don't even have to, to tell them. Thank God, of course, we can tell them. But quite often, God would rather that we live out the life of God such that people can observe us and, uh, you know, be drawn to us. You know, I, I, I thank God, um, you know, uh, this first the first service here, uh, one of my tennis friends, uh, you know, came to church here, you know. <laughs> he came to church here. So um, those of you that were in the first service, well, a few people that were in the first service are here. Most of everybody's gone. But he was here, and there's a good brother from, uh, he's from Angola, you know. So we've been playing tennis together. He's a very good tennis player, a much better player than myself, actually, you know. Very good tennis player. So we've been playing together for, I think, for almost two years now. So we play almost every week, at least once every week. We play tennis together. He's a very good player. And then uh, he said to me, Richard, look, I, I, want to, I want you to pray with me. I said, oh. So, but it, <laughs> so... <laughs> you know, we play tennis every time, but I don't necessarily carry, you know, pastor or reverend on my T-shirt and things like that and so on. But somehow, you know, he knew, <laughs> he knew you know, he knew that I was a Christian and, and pastor or something. So he said he wanted me to pray with him. I said, okay, fine. And I said, come, let's pray. And so he came um, to the office, actually, with Pastor John and myself on Thursday. Uh, we shared some things and prayed together. And, uh, you know, he committed his life to Christ. You know, and uh, you know, and today he came to church. You know, and he guess what? I mean, we're praying that God will help him to really stand strong. He's from Angola. You know, uh, he's been here. He's um, he has grown up some grown up children and things like that. So he said, uh, and he told me that he used to play drums and and guitar. I said, oh, I said we got drums in the church. So you, you know, so don't be surprised. Uh, one of these days to see him on the drums and things like that. But you know, hallelujah. You know, so wherever you go, you can imagine. And you know, I used to say something here. I think my wife, uh, I think my wife that was reminding me, or one of my daughters. You know, I, I mentioned, I said, I, we play tennis together every time. Maybe I've been playing tennis for many years. So we play, uh, we play, and I do pray for them, for God to touch them. They don't necessarily have to come to the Lord through me, but God can touch them through some other means. I do pray for them, and sometimes we play like this, and uh, after a while I stop and. Uh, I look at them and say, God, have the, you know, open their eyes to come to the knowledge of the truth that someday, you know, send somebody to talk to them about Jesus and uh, always stand me up to talk to them you know, and things like that. Because sometimes 
uh, familiarity a little bit, but then God can use somebody else, you know. But pray for them, you know. I do pray for them, and I still pray for them. And I'm grateful to God. I think that's the second tennis person now that I've brought to the Lord. The first one was, you know, my wife was reminding me, a, a, a Greek. He was actually a Greek businessman, a big, quite a big businessman. But later on, he moved back to Greece, you know, uh, to continue his shipping business, you know. This one really, he, right, you know, that time we first got married, we were living in a studio flat, and, uh, you know, we used to play together, and uh, so he came to pick me from the house for us to go and play tennis, and I said, please, sir, can you sit down a minute? And so he sat down, I talked to him about Jesus, right in our little room there, he gave his life to Christ. You know, his name is Demetrius, actually a Greek businessman, you know, and, uh, uh, and uh, he was quite excited, and he said he felt quite peaceful. And so, uh, but unfortunately, after not too long after that, he had to move back to uh, Greece to continue his uh, shipping business. You know, so God wants you wherever you are, shine as a light there. Hallelujah, shine as a light there. You know, uh, sometimes your colleagues may ask some questions about you know. Um, your attitude, maybe they can see that your behavior is different, your attitude is different, you know. It's just like they know me, they know, they know me, because when we play tennis like this, sometimes we play doubles, so there's two people on that side too, you know. So sometimes singles and things like that. But then sometimes, you know, they miss a shot, and then they, you know, some of them curse, and uh, they start swearing and things like that. You know, they're angry for missing a shot, you know. Uh, but when I'm around, they say, oh, sorry, Richard. Because it's just like I'm the only person there apologizing, but there's some other people. <laughs> you know, somehow they know that, uh, you know, I'm different. They know that I'm different, and they, certainly they don't feel comfortable swearing around me. So whenever they do, they, <laughs> they apologize. You know, but they don't apologize to the other people, but they apologize to me. So, <laughs> you know, I don't necessarily tell them off as such as so, 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 but they know, you know. So God wants you to shine as light wherever you are. Praise the name of Jesus. So God wants us to develop from believers into disciples, from disciples into Christians. If you look at that progression, you believe. After you believe, Jesus Christ spoke to those who believed. He said to them, if you continue in my word, you know, you will truly be my disciples. And he said in verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, so we live in days where there's so much deception as we go. Uh, let's look at the notes on the screen. You know, uh, I, kept, uh, I keep on emphasizing this in Second Timothy chapter 4. So, um, so many things are going on in the world today that we need to be alert. We need to be vigilant. Paul wrote to Timothy, preach the word of God. And uh, last week I was emphasizing the reason Paul was emphasizing this was in verse 3. He said, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching and they will follow their desires and looking for teachers to tell them what they want to hear. I just hope that you are not one of those people and we've seen the meaning of the word myth because that is what people are giving heed to. It's, it will surprise you today how much people are fascinated by wanting to, to, to know about that and know about this and know about that. You know, some of these films that come up these days, uh, sci-fi films and horror films, uh, all kind of, uh, you know, films and people watch it. We don't watch horror films and sci-fi films, in, you know, in our, in our homes, you know. 
and they, they depict so many things. You know, uh, because some of those films, you, you, have you ever sat down to, to wonder, where did this person get the idea from to come up with films like this? Where do you think they got the idea from? Certainly not from God. Very terrible and horrible films that they do. You know, the idea did not come from God. You know, so we need to be careful that we do not subject ourselves, you know, to full movies like that and, uh, you know, or, or, or programs that really, you know, talk about myths, myths that, you know, things that people agree with and they, they go after and they believe. So anyhow, let's just go on. And so Paul wrote again to Timothy in chapter 3, said evil men and impostors will grow worse and deceiving and being deceived and so on. But he said, but you must continue in the things which you have learned. And then we have seen not, uh, not there that uh, you are responsible and accountable for what and who you listen to. And we know the story that we read in First Kings chapter 13, how that prophet was deceived and he ended up dying. And uh, so we, uh, Satan uses lies, you know, to, and deception to exploit us in desperate times of need desire and circumstances by offering solutions that are temporal but with grave and uh, consequences you know at the end so we need to be careful what we listen to uh, in the morning i was sharing uh, what i just heard yesterday evening i just switched on the uh, christian channel and uh, there was a, a preacher that was ministering and uh, he talked uh, he may, you know he talked about a couple of things some testimonies uh, in his ministry he talked about uh, a time that he was ministering and a certain lady came to him who uh, had been married. Uh, she was in her 30s and uh, had been married, you know, for some years and no child. So she came to him for prayers, you know. And so the man of God, when he was trying to pray for her, he said a word came to him, Juniper. And so, he, you know, so he said to the woman, I don't know, but this, this word is coming to me, Juniper. Does it mean anything to you? She said, no, I mean, I have no idea what Juniper is all about, and things like that. Uh, she, so the man of God said, well, I'll pray with you, but I don't know. I, I, I felt strong in my heart to mention that word. I don't know what it means. But anyhow, he prayed for her, and she went home. And uh, so the mother was still around. She had been married, but the mother was uh, where she could contact her. So she said to the mom, uh, I went uh, to, uh, for, uh, to church. And then the man of God was preaching, and he mentioned the word juniper. And I don't know, I don't have an idea what juniper is. So do you know what juniper is? And strange enough, the mother said, oh, yes, I do. So the lady said, oh, so what is it all about? What is juniper all about? So she said, well, that actually, you know, when I was pregnant with you, that is the mother telling the woman, said, when I was pregnant with you, I went to an occultist wanting to find out whether the pregnancy was a male or female. And that the, the man, you know, kind of swung some pendulum over my stomach, and uh, he could now tell, oh, that it was uh, a, a female, a girl. And uh, that was it. So, but the thing is that, so what it means is when the mother went to submit herself to that occultist, you know, ignorantly, a demon came into the life of that baby in her womb. 30 years later, the lady, the girl, after having been born, she's grown and she's now an adult. 30 years later, she's married and she's struggling to have a child and no child is coming. Not knowing that the mother 
did all these things over 30 years ago. So I'm not saying that every case is like that. You know, but we, what we're trying to bring out here, some of the consequences of going to the wrong people. Satan always tries to exploit our circumstances. When you are in a desperate need, be careful where you go to. Because sometimes that is when we are most vulnerable. You know, and you see, when somebody is so much in need of something, they, they are ready to do just about anything. Unfortunately, yes, it does happen in life. People can be so desperate, they, are, they can do anything to get what they want. But you see, often the devil has something more sinister, more diabolical at the end. Now there may be a temporary solution, but later on, you know, uh, there will be consequences. You know, so we need to be careful. You know, very, very important. You know, um, I, I also shared with them in 1984. God delivered me in 1984 uh, from a very uh, terrible situation. You know, because there was this a friend of my brother, we were in the same church, and we were in the music team together. You know, actually me and him, we used to exchange playing the bass guitar back 1984. You know, so he came to me and said to me, Brother Richard, I mean, uh, you know, this, this man of God is a great prophet in the town, so let's go to him and try to, that he's telling people their future. Let's go and find out what our future is like. And I, you know, I was young then, 84, what, 22 years old, so, and also young the Lord. I had started preaching quite okay, but then, you know, I was still a little bit vulnerable. So I followed him. <laughs> we went, and uh, we went to the place, uh, we entered the compound, you know, a big house, and so there were benches, they put benches all across like this. So people sat, like, they were waiting to go in to see a doctor. So the room was here where the, the next person goes in. So people sat all around, you know. So we sat uh, over here waiting for our turn, you know. So people were going in and coming back out, you know, uh, and so on. So we sat there. Then after some time, I felt very uneasy in my heart, you know. You know, it's not like I didn't hear any voice, I didn't see any vision, but I felt very uneasy. I kind of felt like something is not right somewhere. So I said to him, look, I'm out of here. I'm going. So I got up and left. You know, so when I left, went out, I was walking down the street, and then I looked, and he, he too had left and followed me. And that is how we escaped. You know, the thing is that you go to all those people telling you their, their future. You know, God, there's no, it's not in the Bible where somebody sits or lines people up and be telling them about their future for what? God, God's plan is not that you know everything about your future. He makes you to know what is relevant about your future. For all other things, you have to trust him with your tomorrow. That is what the life of faith is about. You know, if you notice in Acts chapter 9, you know, um, the spectacular conversion of Paul, you know, first of all Saul, when Jesus Christ met up with him and he, you know, uh, he, the Bible says the light struck him and he was blind and, and things like that and so on and so forth. And uh, so later on the Lord uh, said, uh, sent somebody to go and pray for him. And uh, the Lord said that I will show him the things that he will suffer for my name's sake. He said, I will show him but he did not show Paul at that time everything. Even all the things that Paul suffered in a later on, God didn't show him everything. He only showed him some few bits and pieces here and there, 
like in Acts chapter 20, on this occasion, God said to, showed him that on his, you know, in Jerusalem, problems were awaiting him. And he said, none of these things move me. But you see, Paul had been through quite a lot, so that by the time he was told that difficult times were ahead, he was not moved again. But God did not tell him all those things, because Paul went through difficult times, imprisonments, beatings, shipwrecks, and so on and so forth. You know, if God were to tell you everything about your future, you couldn't handle it. That's the thing. You either be too anxious or you'll be afraid. So what are you going to do? God tells you, okay, next year you'll die on the 25th of July. So what? What are you going to do about it? You cry and cry and cry and cry or what? Of course, it is not, you know, out of place for, for God sometimes to tell us like uh, in the King Hezekiah, set your house in order, you will die and not live. So that, and so on. But God doesn't always do that. So you have to trust him. Hallelujah. So sometimes we put ourselves in very dangerous situations because we want to delve into things that we should not be getting into. So we go to the book of Jeremiah where we have been trying to look at. Now in this book of Jeremiah, we know this prophet Hananiah came. And in the Old Testament, whenever God's people disobeyed him, he allowed them to come under the control of other nations. Quite often God used King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to discipline his own children. <laughs> You know, quite often when they sin, either God allowed them to be defeated in battle or to be carried away into captivity. And then when they would repent, God would bring them back. You know, so on this occasion, they had sinned again. And so God had given uh, them over to King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, to kind of discipline them. And uh, they were serving a punishment as it were. But then during this time, a prophet came and told the people that they were going to be free in two years. But God had not sent him. And of course, when you are in a situation like that, somebody comes with something that looks or sounds like good news. You are going to jump up and down. But the problem is that the thing is not true. That's where the problem is. That was where the problem was. Of course, what he told the people was very good to the ears. I mean, if you are in a situation and problems and somebody comes and tells you that you are going to be free in two days or in two months or in two years, you are going to be happy about it. But the problem is that has God sent you? And so the prophet in verse 9, Jeremiah now, talking or addressing this other prophet, Hananiah. So Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah said in verse 9 of Jeremiah chapter 28, he said, As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke of, of the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. You know, in those days, sometimes prophets used to, um, you know, have some kind of physical uh, demonstration of what God was speaking to them. So on this occasion, uh, prophet Jeremiah was carrying a yoke, you know, to signify bondage, to show that the, the people of God were in bondage. So he was carrying a yoke of wood, but Hananiah took the yoke of wood and broke it saying that, look, as I have broken this yoke, so that means the people are free in two years. And that sounded very good. But the problem was God had not sent this other prophet, Hananiah. You know, if you look, uh, you read the book of Acts, you remember there's one prophet, Agabus, all right, who came, the Bible says he came down to where Paul was, and then he took Paul's own, girdle, Paul's own cloth, 
then tied himself up with and said that uh, this is what will happen to the honor of this cloth uh, when he gets to Jerusalem. Of course, the message was clear. You know, so he was using some kind of physical thing to demonstrate what God was saying. He tied himself up. So uh, Jeremiah was carrying a yoke to demonstrate the fact that the people of God were in bondage. So, but this guy came and broke it and said that uh, the people of God were going to be free. So now, um, let me just read verse 12. Verse 12. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. So in essence, by coming to lie to them, he had worsened their situation. Before it was yoke of wood, now it's yoke of iron. So in essence, when we submit ourselves to lies, our situation worsens. And it's just really unfortunate. It's unfortunate, and that's why we need to be vigilant. So verse 14 says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I have given him the beasts of the field also. So it was God who permitted these nations to come under the control and domination of Nebuchadnezzar. It was God. It was God. And that's why, you know, we need to be careful. If it is God disciplining you, there's not much any man can do. <laughs> Except maybe to pray and intercede for you. You know, you cannot undo what God is doing. So God was the one that brought these nations under King Nebuchadnezzar. And it was God that was going to bring them out of his control. And quite often it was going to take some repenting. So then Jeremiah verse 15. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make these people trust in a lie. Hmm. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month of July that we are in now. <laughs> he died in July. <laughs> it's really strange. So here we see very much the problem with speaking not from the Lord. So remember we read First Kings chapter 13 that uh, we are responsible for what we hear. The prophet that God sent in First Kings chapter 13 to go and give a message. And then there was this other prophet who came and lied to him. So we find out that the prophet, because he listened to the lie, he ended up dying. So here we see this prophet who spoke lies, he ended up dying. But then Paul had spoken to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. Paul said to Timothy, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation. Many people don't realize that you need for the sake of your own salvation to speak the truth. You think that by lying to people that only people you are lying to are the ones going to suffer. No, no, no. You also suffer. You also suffer. There are consequences for lying to people. But then there are also consequences for people that are being lied to. 
You know, and that's why we need to be careful. You see, the thing is, uh, I believe that if the word of God is true, and I believe it is, there will be millions and millions and millions in, of people who will find themselves in hell because somebody lied to them that there is no God. They believed it. And so they lived their, their lives here on earth with a complete disregard to the things of God. Nobody could talk to them about God. They say, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't believe that stuff. Church, I don't believe in church. Jesus, who is Jesus? I don't believe in Jesus. Bible, what is Bible? Uh, what, what's Bible? Why? And you see, all that is because they heard somebody. They listened to somebody. The way people live today, if you check out carefully, their lifestyle is a product of what they have listened to, what somebody else has told them. Our lives today very much are a product of what we heard yesterday. And when I say literally, I'm not just meaning yesterday, literally. Years back. Because we hear things, we allow those things to enter our hearts, we believe those things, we be begin to live out those things, and those things form our character eventually. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? The thing is that there are some things that whether we believe or not, does not change the truth. You see, whether we believe there is God or not does not, not, does not change the fact that there is God. It doesn't change anything. You know, we don't have to, you know, people come and say, oh, I don't believe there is hell. The thing is that, my goodness, whether you believe there is hell or not, there is hell. You don't have to believe that hell exists because it does. So whether you are believing or not believing does not change the reality of the existence of hell. So you might as well tell the line, the right one with the Bible, and follow what the scriptures teach. Some people say, well, there is heaven, quite okay, but there is no hell. If there is heaven, there is hell. Because if there is heaven, then which people go to heaven? And those, if they don't go to heaven, where do they go to? So there is heaven, and there is hell. And Jesus Christ talked about hell. In fact, according to Bible scholars, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Because why? He was warning people about hell. And if the wages of sin is death, and we know that sin is what leads people to hell, and Jesus came and died for our sins, it shows the seriousness of hell. For Jesus to come and die the way he did, the brutal death, it shows that hell is a reality hell is a real place now the thing is that people go around and they don't want to believe it the thing is that it doesn't change anything it doesn't change anything you know you can decide to disbelieve the, that america exists that doesn't you know it doesn't change the fact that america exists you know the thing is that you, sometimes people believe things they believe whatever they want to believe but it doesn't change a thing so paul writes to timothy Keep a close watch on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. So we need to be careful. Now, in the book of Job, chapter 32, there's a scripture here. It says, For I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. This is especially for those of us who preach because, you know, or prophesy. 
Sometimes, you know, the word of God is like shut up in your heart and in your mind and in your belly. You want to speak. Of course, it's good to speak. But make sure you're speaking the right thing. So this guy says, I'm full of words. He said, the spirit within me compels me. I'm, I'm really, you know, it's like I'm going to pass. I have to speak. Great. But the thing is that make sure what you're speaking is the, the truth. Make sure that what you're speaking is what God is inspiring you to speak. He said, indeed, my belly is like wine that has no bend. It is ready to burst like new wineskins. He said, I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. But this guy goes ahead to say this. Verse 21. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. I want you to take note of the word flatter. We will look at the meaning of the word flatter in a minute. But let's look at other translations of this particular scripture. Verse 22. Okay, let's read verse 22, by the way. Verse 22 says, For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. Now, if you look at it, if we go back to that Jeremiah chapter 28, <laughs> if God did not send Hananiah, the prophet, and he decided on his own to come and give the people of God that prophecy, a prophecy that was not right. So why did he do that? He must have known that God wasn't speaking to him. He must have known that God hadn't sent him. And yet he went ahead, even exchanging words with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one prophet that you didn't joke with. And yet he had the guts to exchange words with Jeremiah. <laughs> Arguing with Jeremiah. So why would he do that? Why would he want to come and give the people of God a very sweet prophecy in time of challenges, in time of bondage. You know, we will look at the meaning, when we look at the, word, at the meaning of the word flatter, you will understand what I'm talking about. Because quite often, people want to tell people what the people want to hear. And that's exactly what Paul was warning Timothy about. He said, a time is coming in these days that people will go around looking for teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Now I can guarantee you there are preachers all around the place when they know what people want. <laughs> I have been told. I have been told here in London. I have been told, you know, that... Uh, People want prophecies, so it will be good. Maybe, you know, give them some prophecies, you know, give them some word of knowledge. Just like that, press a button for things to happen. You say, because that, that is what the people want. I've been told this. I have been told this. Because people want prophecy. So, you know, I should, from time to time, I should give the people prophecy. So just like that, I just wake up. Oh, this is the Lord, uh, as is uh, you know, Cynthia, ah, God says he is with you. That's like that. All these prophecies of years to years, yeah, don't say the Lord, I'm with you. Every time God, I'm with you. God himself, God's word says, I'm with you always to the close of the age. You don't need somebody standing in the pulpit, closing their eyes and then shaking and then telling you that God says he's with you. You see, that's where the problem is. Because if you don't read the Bible, then you find what somebody is saying very fascinating. Isn't, doesn't the word of God say that I am with you always? 
even to the end of the world. I am with you always. You read the Bible, you believe it. So it's not somebody come and tell, oh, that says a lot, I'm with you. Of course, I'm not saying God cannot speak like that, but yes, God can give a prophecy, correct one like that, to help, maybe to, to encourage somebody who is going through a situation, just let the person know that God is really with him. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't with the person at all. But sometimes we tell people that because we think that is what people want to hear. That's where the problem is, and it is dangerous. You know, I was telling him at in the morning here, I went to preach somewhere in Nigeria. One preacher said to me that, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Richard, uh, you know, it's good that, you know, you are, teacher, you are a teacher, yes. It's, as you are teaching like this, it's good, you know, from time to time in the course of your, your teaching, you know, try to, to, to cut some preachers, cut, cut some books so that people will know that you are well read. So I thought to myself, well, I'm not well read. Yes, I am not well read. So why should I give the people the impression that I'm well read? Now the thing is this. The question is this. The question is this. Why do I want people to think I am well read? Except for selfish purposes. Is that what is going to save you? Is that what is going to bless you? That, oh, ah, you know, just the thinking that Pastor Richard is well read then that blesses you. Is that what blesses you? That's not what is going to bless you. That's not what is going to heal you. That is not what is going to heal you. Because uh, people think that I am great. That's not what is going to make you great. People think I am a man of God. That's not what is going to make you a man of God. It's not, what about, it's not about what people think. It's about what God thinks. It's about what God says. And that's where the problem is because we want to more or less, uh, you know, mesmerize the people and, uh, you know, give them, give, give them some impressions. Make people know that, oh, I'm a great man of God. So I can close my eyes like this as I'm preaching. Okay, I can see this, I can see that. Fine. The question is that, is God actually telling you something? Is God actually speaking to you? Is God actually sending you? Why did this prophet come up to? I'm sure he probably wanted to be in the good books of the people. Thank God we were in bondage and this man came and gave us a prophecy that it was encouraging. God is telling us that in two years it's going to be all over. But you see, you know, I don't want to bother you with theological dates. But if you were to study theologically, what he was talking about, it took up between 11 and 61 years for what he supposedly was saying to come to pass. As a matter of fact, one of the, those people, Jeconiah, was carried away to Babylon. He never returned. But he said that Jeconiah was going to be brought back. And within two years, the yoke was going to be destroyed. But, you know, if you study the whole thing, the whole thing took between 11 and 61 years for some of those things that were said to come to pass. So they were not true. They were not true. God knew what he was doing. So but the thing is that the people might, must, have, you know, must have been happy. So he, maybe he said it maybe just to fascinate the people, 
maybe to make the people think that he too was a prophet like Jeremiah. You know, there is competition. Oh, yes. During the time of Paul, there was competition. Paul said that there are, he knew. Paul knew. And I love Paul. I love the man Paul. You know? He said, I know that there are people preaching the gospel out of strife. But he said, well, it doesn't matter. They can preach out of strife. The most important thing is that Jesus is being preached. Hallelujah. And you know, the strange thing is this. <laughs> you know, sometimes some people can preach Jesus out of strife, but somebody's going to believe and get saved. But the person that's doing the preaching is not going to get saved. I mean, not going to get blessed. People can believe in Jesus and get saved. But the person who brought the message, if they did it with the wrong motive, they won't get blessed for it. So why? This man says, I do not want to flatter. Job chapter 32, verse 18 to 22. New life version says, For I am full of words. The spirit within me makes me speak. I will not show favor to anyone or praise any man in a false way. Verse 22. For I do not know how to say sweet-sounding words that are not true. For then my maker would soon take me away. Who is this maker? I say, who is this maker? God. God. What this man was saying that, look, if I am telling people sweet, sweet, sweet sounding things, say, God is going to take me away early. But if you notice, Ananiah died early. He got up telling the people sweet things, telling them that they will be okay in two years' time. But God said, no, by July you're gone. And he was gone. And he died. He died. So the question is, why does Satan lie? Why do people lie? Why do people deceive? Why do people flatter others? You know, quite often, you know, we need to understand what the Bible says about Satan. Satan is the father of lies. And the Bible says, if, whenever Satan lies, he is speaking according to his nature. Satan's nature is lies. So that means that if Satan tells you that this thing is white, it is not white. If he tells you it is black, it is not black. <laughs> you know, you can never trust the devil. You know, that's why, you know, it, oh my God. If you go to people who don't believe in God, and they are serving the devil, and they, they, they tell you that they have the solution to your problem. Just know that that solution is temporal. Nothing, nothing from Satan comes for free. I can guarantee you that. Nothing. The Satan does not give anything for free. If he gives you something now, you're going to pay the price later. If you don't pay the price personally, your child is going to pay the price. Somebody in your family is going to pay the price later on. So nothing from Satan comes for free. So Satan is a liar. He lies because that is the only way he can get people to not believe in God. What, and it started from the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. What did he do? He deceived Eve. He lied to her. 
that she wouldn't die? That, oh, what God told you is not true? And she believed the lie. She believed the lie. When she believed the lie, what happened? She died spiritually. Yes, physically they were still walking around. But that's one thing with, with spiritual death. Because spiritual death also has physical consequences. When God said that if they ate of that tree that they would die, he wasn't just talking about physical death. He was first of all talking about spiritual death. And spiritual death is separation from God. So when they ate that fruit, they died spiritually. So that means they were separated from God. But then physical consequences began to follow. First and foremost, God sent them away from the garden. And then God said, well, you are going to have to work hard now. You've been enjoying this garden and uh, you, know, you are not working, just up, going up and down and having fun, enjoying yourselves. No sweat, no pain, nothing. But now you are going to have to work hard. You're going to have to sweat. And you, woman, <laughs> you're, for you to give birth to a child, you're going to have some pains. But they were still walking around physically alive. But spiritually dead and disconnected from God. And they began to experience physical consequences of a spiritual disconnection. <laughs> you know, and it happens that, brethren, just like there began to be physical consequences that resulted from a spiritual disconnection, whenever people give their lives to Jesus, they, become, they, be, they are now reconnected to God. And if you notice, other physical things begin to come into place. Praise God. I say, praise God. So God said what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So all these things will be added to you. And that is why we need to understand what God says. Uh, you know, God never called us that we come to him and we start pursuing after blessings. He said to seek him and the blessings would follow. Because he knows. Because by the way, I want you to understand this thing, brethren. Look, listen to this carefully. Let me digress a little bit because I need to lay emphasis on this. We need to understand this, the, 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 the implication of, of things. You know, before Adam and Eve sinned, they were having a great time in the Garden of Eden. No pain. No sickness, no suffering, no sweat even. God would come to talk with them. They would have fellowship with God in the cool of the day from time to time. So God said to them, just make sure that you watch over this garden, beautiful garden. That's it. Have fun. Brought a wife to him. You know, have fun. Be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish the earth. Great. Everything was going just fine. But when Satan came and deceived Eve, and the moment Eve sinned, and Adam also sinned, they were now spiritually cut away from God. Because when we talk about death, when God said they were going to die, God was not just talking about physical death. God was talking about spiritual 
death. There are millions of people going and walking the face of the earth today who are physically alive but spiritually dead. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they were now disconnected from God. And that disconnection began to give rise to physical and social consequences. Now, physical death was to follow later because later on they died. I'm sure maybe along the way they got ill. They now had to walk and sweat. And it's, till today, till today, that is why you wake up in the morning to go to work. And if you don't work, bills are not going to be paid, you get to push out and you're on the street. Even as a Christian, you still have to work. Even though I was a priest, we have to work. Since the fall. But the thing is that for Christians, once we have given our lives to Christ, then we are reconciled to God, and other things around begin to come into place. Because number one, God takes it upon himself to bless us. And then number two, we can also pray to ask God for some blessings. But we have to make sure that we are not putting the cat before the horse. We must seek God first, and these things will be added. Hallelujah. Now, what does it mean to flatter? Look at the dictionary meaning of flatter. The word flatter in the dictionary, it means to lavish praise and compliments on someone, often insincerely, and with the aim of furthering one's own interest. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you take that to Job, what Job, uh, no, um, it wasn't Job himself making this uh, statement, by the way, but it's written in the book of Job. What we read in the book of Job, he said that I don't want to flatter people. If I flatter people, then God is going to take me away early. So, what he was saying is that I don't want to be Telling people insincere, pressing them insincerely. Ah, you are doing so great. But even though you can tell that the person is not living according to God's will, and you're telling them, you are just fine. The person is drinking and sleeping around. Doing, oh, my, oh, you are just fine. You are just fine. And you know this kind of thing, even uh, some people might not be happy with me. This thing, it doesn't help our children. Go and check out. Children that are, the Bible says it, that a child has left to himself brings his mother shame. Because let a child, if you, your child grows up and your child is messing around and he says, ah, uh, you're fine, yeah, it's a good boy, my son is a wonderful boy. He's messing around, he's stealing here, pilfering things in the house. Uh, he's, ah, he's, uh, my son is a wonderful boy. My daughter, is, ah, my daughter is a wonderful girl. Go to school, yeah, you get report from the school that your child is misbehaving in the class. He said, I know. You go and challenge the, my, the teacher. I know my son. I know my daughter. And then by the time the child gets to 13, 14, you cannot control him. 15, by 16, the child is gone. It all started when you could see what the child was doing wrong. Instead of you to correct the child, 
He says, you're a good boy, you're a big, sweet boy, you're a sweet girl. Now she's become something else. Remember, I was preaching, I think one time I was dedicating a child here, and I said, look, we, we dedicate children here. We hold them in our arms. And even when they are born, it's long, young children, we say, oh, my goodness, sweet baby, sweet angel. Mm, sweet angel. Right? We thank God. We hold them. Sweet angel, right? Then three, four, five years, ten years, the child is a you little devil. So we, we, when we had them, they were angels. So now it's a little devil. How did our little angel turn to a little devil? So it means that God did not give us a little devil. God gave us a little angel, a sweet angel. Sweet children, right? Little girl, sweet angel. Hmm, isn't she cute? Isn't she wonderful? Cute. I mean, I have seen all manner of things. You know, I was in Tesco some time back, and, uh, you know, one little boy, maybe about two, two and a half, maybe. I don't think he could have been after three years, no. You know, he was going behind. The mom was in front pushing the trolley, and the boy was walking behind. He said, Mom, the mom turned and said, I hate you. And then the mom turned to him and said, I hate you too. <laughs> so you, now you understand where the boy got that from. You know, if the boy is telling the mother that he hates her, and the mother is telling him back that she hates him, so you can imagine. And what, you know, so it is all these things we 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 don't want to tell our children that they are wrong. I am not saying it is sweet. None of nobody. The Bible says, it, and that is why we need to understand what the Bible says. We need to go by the Bible. The Book of Hebrews, I think, chapter is it twelve, chapter twelve now, so. It says that no discipline for the time is sweet. But at the end, it brings good results. No discipline for the time is sweet. We are not saying that when a child is doing wrong and you say, hey, that is not right, stop that. It is not sweet. The child is not going to say, ah, thank you. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Necessarily, he may not do that, but it is good for the child. And it is, it, it is evident that a child that cannot be controlled in the house cannot be controlled outside. It all starts in the house. It's all because we, we, you know, we, we fail to understand when this sweet angel is beginning to turn into a little demon. According to what some people say. <laughs> so and we don't want to be insincere. If somebody is wrong, let's tell them they are wrong. Oh, yeah. The Bible says if you rebuke a wise man, you'll be wiser. But if you rebuke a fool, you will have trouble. But let's be wise. Amen? Oh, my, my, my. Let's, we're going to read this and finish. Scroll down to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, verse 5. Let's not flatter people. If people are wrong, don't just tell them that everything is fine. Learn to correct people. Parents correct their children. We correct us. Thank God they didn't turn out into little demons. They 
from sweet angel now they, they are sweet girls. <laughs> you know, we don't want to be talking about little devils. No, 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 no. No. God gave us angels. Sweet angels. You know? Proverbs 29, 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. You know, if you are doing something wrong and somebody is, keeps on telling you, you are just fine, you are just fine. I, I, I've seen people, you know, that, that were doing something wrong and then somebody was telling them they are just fine. But the person said, no, 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 no. Don't tell me I'm do right. You know, I know what I'm doing is wrong. So the person is even more sincere than the person, you know, that is trying to tell them that they are fine. People know. People know. If you are doing wrong, you know. You know it. But you see, somebody coming to tell you that it's all right, it's not going to make it right. The New Living Translation says, to flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. And it's the same thing goes for preaching. To flatter members of the church. Oh, yes. Amen. Uh, if, whether you say amen or it's true anyway. If we stand in the pulpit and all we preach is flattering messages. Because why? All in the name of encouragement. There's a place for encouragement. But there's a place for correction. There's a place for rebuke. There's a place for instruction. That is what makes a complete person. You correct here, rebuke here, instruct here, encourage here. That is what makes a for a complete person. If we stand in the pulpit, all we're doing is preaching sweet, sweet, sweet things to you. You don't see, I mean, what, what kind of church is that? That you go to every day in, day out, you go in, you hear preaching, and none of the preaching, you know, challenges you to change anything. What is that? There's no way, nobody, even the prophets, and not the prophets in the Old Testament, when they came face to face with the word of God, with God himself, they never remained the same. They saw themselves as completely helpless. Anytime you hear the word of God, some of it is going to encourage you. Some aspects of it will, will rebuke you where you are wrong. Some aspects of it will correct you. Some aspects of it will instruct you. That is the word. That's why we go to church. If, if we, there's no room for correction in our lives, no room for rebuke in our lives, no room for instruction in our lives, what are we going to church for? Because if you are doing wrong, what you need is, is correction, not encouragement. Remember some few weeks back I was preaching, isn't it? I said somebody is, you know, somebody is driving and the person wants to go to White Chapel. You are here. You go out, step out of the church, somebody you know, stops and, and he's driving and he's facing down going towards Hackney. And he stops and says, oh, please, uh, please, can you help me, please? I, I, I want to go to White Chapel. And you know that White Chapel is this way, where he's coming from. So he doesn't know that he's actually left White Chapel behind. He's facing Hackney and he's driving down towards Hackney. You know he's facing Hackney. So, but of course, you want to encourage him. So he said to him, um, well, this is not the, the road to, you know, the correct, you are not going the, the right direction, but be encouraged, you will get there. <laughs> so the person drives on down. Where is the person going to find himself? Right down Hackney, past Hackney, go to Stamford Hill, go right on to Holloway and find himself right in the city, in the West London. All in the name of encouragement. 
What he needs is, no, you are on the wrong, you are facing the wrong direction. You need to turn around. It may not be convenient, but you need to turn around. Yes, you've maybe spent some fuel or whatever. You need to turn around and go to, what, this is what chapel is this way. You are heading the wrong way. What the person needs is not encouragement. What the person needs is correction and instruction. You correct him. No, you are wrong facing this way. So instruction is turn around and go back this way. That's instruction. Hallelujah. The word of God corrects us. And from when we read the word, we find out from the word. The word tells us that, no, we are wrong by behaving like this. And the word of God also tells us this is the right way to, believe, uh, to, to behave and to act. Say, so a man who gives his neighbor sweet-sounding words that are not true spreads a net for his own feet. I don't want to be spreading a net for anybody. Hallelujah. We need encouragement, but we need instruction. We need correction. We need reproof also. So that, as 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, verse 16, the man or woman of God will be thoroughly furnished for every good work. May God bless us. We have to stop here today because of time. Um, so, but another, um, actually, I will just stop here. Maybe another time I'll pick it up because next Sunday I have decided, made up my mind, somebody else is preaching. You know, um, I didn't intend to carry this. Uh, it was just meant to be a one Sunday message, but I believe God wanted to bring some things to us. Praise God. Let us pray. Thank you, Father God, for this day. We bless you for your goodness and for your faithfulness. I pray, Lord God, that you will preserve your people. I pray, God, that you will uphold your people. I pray that you will deliver them from liars, deliver them from the deception of the enemy, especially in these last days. You said, Lord, that many voices have gone into the world. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you will preserve your own, O God. Help them to understand your voice. You said that my sheep hear my voice and the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. I pray, God, that your people will not follow the voice of the stranger. I pray, Father God, that you will help your people to be disciplined, to seek after you, to run after you, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and everything else will be added. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory for your faithfulness. Blessed be your holy name, O God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given us to help us and to teach us and to guide us and, and to... Help us to know the things that are given to us by God. Help us to trust and rely on the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you and we give you praise. Lord, deliver us from the deception of the enemy and the manipulation of the enemy, especially when we find ourselves under difficult situations and circumstances. We thank you, Lord God, because you have said you will never leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your mercy. Blessed be your holy name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh